Living the Principles. This podcast is hosted by Latricia Smith and Phyllis G. Williams. Living the Principles seeks to expand mindsets, express beliefs, and edify excellence in hopes of building a stronger Black community. Welcome to Living the Principles. Welcome. I am Latricia, and with me today is my co-host, Phyllis. Hey, Phyllis. Hey, Latricia. Hello out there, Difference Makers. Today, we have a special guest, Rhonda C. Barnes. Rhonda C. Barnes is a registered nurse and licensed minister with a passion for helping women who are hurting. She is the author of From a Mess to a Message, The Aftermath of Abortion. Rhonda is also the founder of Aftermath Ministries an after-abortion care ministry that addresses the emotional and spiritual needs of men and women who have experienced pregnancy loss through abortion. Welcome, Rhonda. Hello there. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. We're so excited to have this conversation with you today about abortion, which I know is a very controversial topic, but one that needs to be discussed nonetheless. So Rhonda, let's start out by getting straight into it, talking about your book, From a Mess to a Message. What is this book about and who is it for? The book, From a Mess to a Message, The Aftermath of Abortion, it's really for, I say it's for everyone. And I'll just start out by saying it's not just about abortion because whatever mess a person finds themselves in, is usually associated with some type of guilt, shame, perhaps depression, and unforgiveness. And those are the topics that this book addresses. So it's not just about abortion, but the subtitle, The Aftermath of Abortion, yes, it specifically talks about abortion. And it's written to not just people who've experienced abortion loss, but also the people that they know. It gives, I think, an understanding of what a person may experience if they decided to take this role as a choice for their lives. What made you write this book? Well, as a 19-year-old college student, I experienced abortion myself. And living with the guilt and the shame associated with that was a heaviness that I lived with. I even just kind of look through that lens whenever I would meet new people and would ask myself, I wonder if they knew that about me, would they accept me? Because like you said, it is a controversial issue. And so not knowing where people stood on the issue, it just kind of made me always have that in the back of my mind when meeting new people. But the reason I wrote the book or felt a need for the book was when I experience a deep healing from that issue. When I was able to forgive myself, I realized that other people who are experiencing those same emotions may benefit from this as well. Rhonda, I think a lot of people will benefit from it for that reason. I haven't personally experienced this, but I've crossed people in my close circle and associates who have dealt with this and one person I think of in particular, they are always depressed around the time that they got an abortion. 
less common feelings because one of the things that we know about trauma and abortion is trauma. It fits into that category is that your mind remembers, your body remembers. And so you may not even be thinking about it, but just the fact that it would be that time of year that you had that experience or the would-be birthday of that child is another trigger that some men and women experience depression or, you know, the guilt and shame associated with that choice, even though it was a choice. I imagine even dreams may um, reoccur during this time as well. Yes, exactly. Can you think of any scenarios that have happened amongst other people who have had an abortion? There's several written in the book. Okay. (laughs) I'm trying to think of my own experience. For me, December is the would-be birthday. And I remember just feeling depressed at that time and just kind of out of sorts. And knowing it wasn't associated with, you know, a lot of women experience PMS and I knew it wasn't PMS. And then it was like, what's wrong with me? Why am I feeling all this? And then all of a sudden I remember, oh, wow, it's December. And so it was like, that was the reminder for me of the would-be birthday. There's a well-known situation that some people may remember with Lorena Bobbitt in a book called Forbidden Grief. Her story is shared where when she actually cut her husband's penis off, it was during the anniversary of her abortion. Oh, I never knew that. Yes. And so that was one of the extreme situations where it was like a psychosis, but you can go from mild symptoms of the aftermath of abortion to major symptoms like psychosis. And that's a documented case of psychosis related to abortion. Wow. It's interesting that you should say that abortion is a form of trauma. I wonder if most people even consider that prior to getting an abortion or when they go to the abortion clinic, if they are even told about abortion. When you go to the clinic, do they talk to you about what you may experience after it's over? No, not really, because believe it or not, abortion is a billion dollar industry and it's their business to sell abortion. So they give you counseling, counseling along the lines of what you want to hear when you're in that crisis situation. And if you think about it, who makes good decisions when they're in crisis and an unplanned, unwanted pregnancy is considered a crisis situation. And so it's you're too young or yes, this is the best course for you, but they don't really go into even the physical aspects of it, depending on how far along you are, what type of of abortion you will receive, nor the after effects. It may be, yes, you're going to feel a little sadness, but it'll go away in time. And truly, I'll admit when I had my abortion, there was a sense of relief because Here I am in my second year of college, unplanned pregnancy situation. I wanted to finish college. And so having that, like, it's over. I can finish school. So I had that sense of relief, but that was short-lived. 
And when I found myself at the side of my bed, crying, rocking, saying, I just killed my baby. What did I tell myself? Suck it up. You did it. Go on with life. Most people learn to stuff the emotions down, but then there are the triggers that you'll cycle through. And what do you do? Suck it up. (laughs) You chose it. But for some people, you know, it may not be that simple to suck it up and keep moving. Yeah, that's very true. I imagine it can be very difficult for some people, particularly those people who seemingly is not a choice for, like young girls whose parents or grandparents or family members have forced them to get an abortion because they're only 13 years old or they're only 14 years old. It's kind of like they don't have a choice because they're just children. Right. And then some, because a person of authority said to do it, they don't associate any wrongdoing, if you will, to it. I do have one friend in particular that she said her pastor even encouraged her to do it. And so for her, she didn't do anything wrong because if a pastor says to do it, there's nothing wrong. And one of the things that helps in that I didn't do anything wrong process is we're told it's not a baby yet. So if you're not getting rid of a baby, if you're not killing a baby, it's just tissue or cells. Where is the guilt in that? And then later on in life, when they learn about fetal development, they may then begin to experience some of the aftermath or the trauma associated with that experience. And it's like betrayal, feelings of unforgiveness and those kinds of things because you realize you were lied to. I'm glad you brought that up because Phyllis and I, we were having a conversation about what people deem to be life. Is it life when there's a heartbeat? Is it life when a child can survive outside of the womb? And I know that you are a nurse. Uh So tell us, what is the fetal development process? So here it is, egg meets sperm. Uh Now what? (laughs) For me, because of my faith, I believe that life begins at conception because when egg meets sperm, it has everything it needs to become a full human being. It's already human. It's already living. And when those two egg and sperm come together, we don't know right then. The woman won't know she's pregnant until, what, miss her first cycle eight weeks, 10 weeks. It just depends on the person. Some women say, well, as soon as I got pregnant, I knew because of her hormonal production and all of that. But again, because of my faith, I believe that life begins at the moment of conception. Let's talk about it from a biological perspective. Mm -hmm. What does biology say? We have the fancy terms, zygote and all those kinds of things. But (laughs) (laughs) When it's a wanted pregnancy, I'll say it this way. What do people say? I'm going to have a baby. It's called a baby from the time she finds out. But if it's unwanted, then we say it's a fetus. 
it's a this, it's sales, but is it really? It's scientific campus divided in when life begins, but I'm on the end of it begins at conception. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> that works for me. I believe sometimes our faith can restrict us mm-hmm. and it still doesn't give us all the answers. Mm-hmm. For example, I was looking at my Facebook memories. There was a picture of my mom and myself. Mm-hmm. She was up here because I had a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. So if abortion is a sin, why do millions of women have spontaneous, because that's what the medical term is, spontaneous mm-hmm. abortions? You said the abortion is a sin, but millions of women miscarry on a common basis because statistics say one out of four women who are pregnant will experience a pregnancy loss. So yes, it is a common occurrence. However, with the spontaneous abortion, that wasn't something you chose. You didn't go to a clinic. You didn't pay your money to say, take this out of me. Your body, for whatever reason, wasn't able to carry that pregnancy to term. With the faith piece, me going to the clinic is I'm deciding to terminate the pregnancy is what they say instead of abortion. That's a choice. You're shedding innocent blood. Okay. That's what makes it a sin. I know that your book is very biblically based and there are people in the world who don't share those beliefs. A lot of people that have abortions don't share the same faith as I do. What would you do to encourage those people or convince them not do it in the future without using religion? I would get to why it is they chose that. Is it that they feel they can't take care of that child? I would offer adoption and I wouldn't necessarily have to put faith in it with them because if they feel, okay, I can't take care of this child, I would be curious to know why wouldn't adoption be a choice for them or an option and see where the conversation goes. I don't know that I would try to convince them not to, because for me, I don't like to put what I believe off on other people, but my concern would be, are you making an informed decision? Do you know what they're going to do when you go to that clinic? Did they explain it to you? Here recently, I had the opportunity to speak with a young girl, a high school student, as a matter of fact, about that decision. And when I went to go speak with her, it wasn't my intent to convince her one way or the other. My intent was to give her information. Did they explain to you what it was they were going to do? And once we went through the different types of abortion, the early weeks, less than 10 weeks, they'll do suction. And I had the brochure there for her. We read it. And this is what's going to happen. If you're 12 weeks and up, this is what they're going to do. If you're 20 weeks, this is what they're going to do. And so that young lady, as young as she was, she decided to keep her baby 
and she called to tell me that that was her decision. I asked, so what was it that made you decide that you didn't want to go through with that procedure? And she said, when I saw what it was they were going to do, that they were going to cut the baby up because she would have been having a DNC because of the number of weeks she was. And we What's talked about DNC? the instrument dilation and cuterage where they take a sharp instrument and scrape your uterus, scrape the contents and pretty much cut up what's there to be able to vacuum it out. And she said, I couldn't see them doing that to my baby. And so she decided to keep it. Wow, Rhonda, I'm glad you were informative with that young lady. If I may ask, was she a person of color? Yes. Do you feel that when young women of color, black women, brown women, have abortions that is a form of genocide, like it's hurting the culture? I do, because if you're not familiar, and I have a copy of this video called My Alpha, and you can actually look at it on YouTube, My Alpha 21. It goes very in-depth into how it is genocide. As African-Americans, and I don't know if these statistics are the exact numbers, but thereabouts, being 13% of the population, we have more abortions than any other cultures. So if we are killing ourselves at a greater rate, we're not going to stay at the number four continuation. I've heard that as well. One thing with that information is the lack of emphasizing that many abortion clinics are within poverty-stricken places, aka the hood, where some black people may reside, compared to an upper-middle-class neighborhood. However, if there was another type of services that was needed, those same people have to drive maybe 30 minutes away. But if it's an abortion clinic, it's right around the corner. Mm -hmm. So I think with those details, we should also keep in mind that it seems strategically based. It is. It's strategically based. What's the lady who started Planned Parenthood, Margaret? Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger. Back in the day, she had this project called the Negro Project, where she recruited leaders from the black community. And these were some prominent black people in the community. So, of course, people listened to them. Initially, it was this push for birth control, and it eventually grew into the abortion system. Right. Eugenics. Yes. Yeah. Eugenics. And the whole thing about eugenics was, I guess it's kind of like the survival of the fittest, eliminating those people who are less fit. And I guess people were saying that that it was based in racism. I understand that whole concept. And during that time, and now here we are in 2019, And it's still heavily impacting the black community, as all negative things do. With abortions, black females are leading the way. The higher rate of abortion than whites, Hispanics. And it's kind of a sad thing. One of the issues that I take up with the anti-abortionists is the way in which they send the message. I saw where they had these 
billboard saying the most dangerous place for an African-American child is in the womb. There's just a lot of negativity associated with it. And to me, that brings about a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. And what saddens me the most about this is that it's the Black anti-abortion movement. These are other Black people bringing down Black women. And personally, I don't think that's the most effective way to get someone to be anti-abortion. As a Black woman, I'm appalled that someone would dare say the most dangerous place for an African-American is inside the womb. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And I think for that group of people that are blatant with it like that and have slogans like that is so that it will get the attention of a black person to say, hey, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And I think because I know some that are, I would call them abolitionists of the 21st century because they want to go after it. They want to put it out there like that. They want it to be shocking to start the conversation. And because of my personality, I wouldn't hold signs like that. I wouldn't say it that way, even though I understand what the people who are saying it that way mean. But everybody doesn't respond to shock value information the same way. They may turn away. They may not want to hear anything you have to say because of the way that it was delivered. So I totally understand your position in that. I don't see it as a shock value. I see it as shaming and denigrating Black women. And that just Mm -hmm. bothers me as a Black woman. I think as a race of people, we have a responsibility to each other to try to unify as a group and not to divide. And there's so much division surrounding this issue in particular. It's okay for people to be anti-abortionists. It's okay for people to be pro-abortionists, if that's a thing. You're absolutely right. People do have choice. That's the beauty of being a human being. We have choice. And for me, when I was a high school student, it was said that one of our classmates had an abortion. And I was quick to the judgment to myself in my head. I was like, how's somebody going to kill their baby? High school student. Mm. My situation changed when I got in college and became pregnant. What made me do it, I believe, two factors, and I'm sure there are others, but two that stand out most are it was legal. So anytime something is legal, people don't have a problem with it, so to speak. And as you were talking, what it made me think about was what about drunk drivers that driving people get killed? Is there a big debate about you shouldn't be drinking and driving? No, I don't know that there is. So it's kind of like, yes, we have choices. We debate. We can be on whatever side of whatever the issue is. And we shouldn't pawn it off on other people that way. But I think everyone has a right to stand up to their beliefs. And going back to my situation, having had the abortion, even though I am a woman who's had an abortion, I would still to this day give information for why not. But when it's all said and done, I leave a person with, but it's still your decision. I just wanted to give you this information so that you be aware of this as well. And one of the things is the emotional impact of that. The stories that are told 
in my book, many of them talk about the emotional things that they went through and the heaviness, the guilt, the shame. And most people can understand the heaviness with which with we live life when we're burdened by guilt, when we're burdened by shame. It causes us to make other decisions that we may not have made if those two things weren't heavy on us. So you're right. Everybody has a right to whatever side of any issue that they're on. And I think doing it respectfully would be a better way to do anything, of course. I would like to circle back around um, two things that were discussed. You only mentioned one reason you did it, Rhonda, so far, but I'm going to let you finish that it was legal. legal. Uh huh. Yes. If something is illegal, will it make people stop doing it? I don't think oh, so. Definitely not. Nope, not at all. My mom, she was born in the 50s and she was a teenage mother. They were doing abortions then in rural Mississippi, but it was with herbs and clothes hangers Mm -hmm. and a specific type of tea as well. They -hmm. were doing it to make the person have an abortion. Mm -hmm. The other thing I like to circle back around is to what Latricia said. I don't think we are the leaders in everything negative because it kind of coincides with this topic. Black people are the most religious, spiritual people in the world. I've seen studies saying that we are very spiritual, whether that spirituality comes from Islam, Christianity, Judaism, African spirituality. We are more spiritual. We also are leaders. Black women are leaders in businesses and also degrees. So there are some positive things associated with blackness. Rhonda, what was the second reason? The second reason was I bought into is not a baby yet. So if I'm not killing a baby and this thing that I'm doing is legal, sure, I'll go along with that. So that was the two main reasons for my decision. It was legal and I was convinced that what was growing inside of me was not a baby yet. What are some ways we can minimize the pressure, stigma, shame, and guilt, whether a woman has an abortion or a child? Because sometimes there's like, oh, that girl is 25 years old with five kids. She needs to stop. How can we minimize pressure, stigma, guilt, whether a woman or girl has an abortion or has a child or children? One of the ways I think is being human, treating others as you would want to be treated thinking twice about what you say about someone, because truly we don't know anyone's story as to why they chose to have an abortion or why they chose to have multiple children. We don't know. So I think decreasing or stop being judgmental and really try to understand where people are before we put our mouths on them or rather than put our mouths on them. Okay. I totally support that contention. I believe that there are so many reasons why people have abortions. And just to go back to the abortion rate in the black community being so high, we're not focusing on the root. If we look at the causes of this, maybe we can help to reduce this high abortion rate in the black community. I know we talked about eugenics and we talked about all of these abortion clinics being in black communities so they're easily accessible 
what are some reasons that so many women are having abortions in the black community? I think part of it goes back to what Phyllis said in talking about the judgment, because think about it. If a girl is pregnant and say one of my daughters is pregnant and other young women hear what other people are saying, she's so fast, she's so this or she whatever. And another young person hears that kind of conversation. If they find themselves in that situation, do you think they're going to tell somebody? It's like, they're not going to shame me. I'm not going to, like Phyllis said, we're very religious. Go to the front of the church and confess that I've sinned and all this other kind of stuff. They're not embarrassing me like that. So I think it starts even at young ages when our children hear what we say. Another thing we as black women tell our children, you better not bring a baby home. So if the girl gets pregnant, what is she going to do? She's going to go get an abortion because her mama already told her, don't bring no baby home. Yeah. Yeah. So just those kinds of comments, I think, help to fuel whatever is already going on with perhaps low self-esteem or family issues. And I'm not going to be like my mama. She had five kids and nope, I'm not going to do that. They're going to go to the abortion clinic and guess what? They're easily accessible and the abortion clinic is selling it. Yes, you're too young. So it's a cycle, vicious cycle of, I think, why the rates are so high in our communities. Do you have any resources for people who are pregnant and maybe they're considering having their child or maybe they're considering or maybe they've already had an abortion? So any pregnancy or post-abortive resources? I do. And there in the community, we have Agape Pregnancy Resource Center downtown. There's CORA's Community Outreach Assistance Services that also help with people who have decided to keep their babies. So there are resources in the community if a woman decides she wants to parent her child. If there's those resources in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which isn't the biggest city in North Carolina, there must be other resources. Your state, I believe if you go to the library and ask for a pamphlet of the nonprofits, you may find one specifically for parenting or post-abortion. Yes, there are. Pregnancy Resource Centers, they can do a Google search, actually. All right. Can you tell the listeners how they can get in contact with you? And where can they purchase your book? They can contact me through my email, rondabarnes.rb, R-H-O-N-D-A-B-A-R-N-E-S dot R-B at gmail.com. And I have books for purchase. The publishing company went out of business, so they're no longer in print. I'm looking to have it reprinted through another publishing company. But as of right now, I do have copies for sale. Okay, great. It's been great talking to you about this topic. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Rhonda. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. We have given you resources, topics to consider, and some interesting stories. Latricia, do you have the principal challenge based on those factors? Yes, I do. Principal Challenge. Live 
them out. In the spirit of Ujima, our principal challenge for today is to love and support our sisters and not attack and shame them. Let's all educate ourselves to be able to provide both pregnancy resources and post-abortion resources. Couldn't agree more. Open your minds, ears, and heart for our next section. Spread the good news. Not rumors, not rubbish. Living the principles, we spread the good news. Six percent of women who are in a domestic violent relationship have an abortion. However, there are people who are attacking the stigma of domestic violence. Our good news point one is a cluster of domestic violence events that occurred this month. For example, Lavinia Jackson created a domestic violence awareness acoustic show. It was called Rhymes and Revolution. Takia Mathis, who's a founder of the Standing Light Foundation, hosting an event called The Power of Self-Love for Domestic Violence Awareness Brunch. Her organization spreads awareness through the arts. Helen Brown in Mississippi, she has an organization called Friends for Fallen Riders. There was a motorcycle ride for domestic violence. One participant traveled 1,000 miles to participate. Sticking with the Christianity thing, there was also Renee Gibbs who did Tender Hearts. It was a purple attire affair with the guest speaker Joan Randall of Victorious You. We are making a difference with issues in the community. Point number two of Spread the Good News is about a son who is making change because of his mother. Former NFL player D'Angelo Williams has paid for more than 500 mammograms to honor his late mom. His mother died at the age of 53. All four of her sisters died also. He has been helping women who are underinsured in the Charlotte area for five years. Point number three, Allison Felix has surpassed a record set by the fastest man alive. She has 12 gold medals, which is one more than Usain Bolt. She gave birth 10 months before her last event, the World Championship. I think this encourages women to know that after pregnancy, you can still achieve great things. This is the good news. Well, Latricia, we've given them a main course, had them sip on something with the principals. Now it's time for a soul snack. Our soul snack today comes from a Nigerian proverb, and it says, nobody knows the mysteries which lie at the bottom of the ocean. That's our show for today. Until next time, expand your minds and impact your communities. Thanks for listening to Living the Principles podcast. Be sure to visit us at livingtheprinciples365.com to access the show and join in on the conversations.